Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Reimagined Radio. Real talk, real life, real magic. Hello, everyone. This is Lisa with Good Vibe Coach Academy. Today, we are going to be talking about seven things that we wish every coach knew. And this is a list of things. Some of them are going to sound really obvious, but I think that there are still things that come to the top when we're talking to other coaches about their business. Some of them may be not so obvious in terms of what we wish other coaches knew. And this is a list that was compiled between Jeanette, the good ma, or the good vibe coach, Jeanette Ma, and myself. And I said 40 years of coaching experience between us. I think it's probably more like, 50 years of coaching experience between us. So we've had some time in this industry to kind of get a good footing of what's happening front-facing, like how the people, how the world sees the coaching industry, but what's happening sort of back-facing within the coaching industry right now. We've also had, I think, more experience than either one of us would have really wanted with watching really, really good coaches come and go, like make it and be there and then not there anymore because they didn't find joy or they didn't find the kind of success that they were looking for. Um, And that's always sad. So hopefully somewhere in these seven things, you can find something to kind of hold on to, something that inspires you, something that causes you or helps you to see the industry a little bit differently. Um, it's, it's a good list. So I'm waiting for Jeanette to dial in, but I'm just going to dive in here with the first one on our list, which is, and this wouldn't surprise anyone coming from the Good Vibe Coach Academy, right? But it is that deliberate creation practices are a business to-do item. And they are a business to-do item just like anything else that you would have on your to-do list for your business. That's kind of obvious. That's sort of a very simple thing to say. But I think it's very, very common for people to look at their alignment practices as a part of their spiritual life or something that they make time for at the end of the day or deliberate creation practices are just really easy at times to skip over. In fact, we were just on another call where we were talking about Jeanette's LOA practices and how intimately they weave through her whole day. But I think for a coach to be successful, it is critically important that they see their deliberate creation practices as a business to-do item, not something that's separate from their business in any way. Jeanette, thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of a lot of even savvy, conscious creators who are coaches will engage their deliberate creation habits as an afterthought or something that they mm-hmm. do when the actions aren't coming to fruition the way they had hoped they would, but it isn't something they build the foundation of their business on. They, it, like, I think for those of us who who understand the importance of alignment, we build it in. It's like literally 
um, it's not an add-on. It's not icing on the cake. It is where everything comes from. This is what comes first. And I think that, I mean, most of us have tried to do it the other way. I tried to do it the other way where I was going to like work my way there. And I think even I would, when I was like really working my ass off on the to-do list for a long time, I would have called myself a savvy, deliberate creator, but I wasn't applying it. I was applying it to my business exactly like what you just said. Now that I think about it, like I was using it as an emergency response when something was going wrong and not necessarily engaging it as a regular part of my my day, my business day. But I know for sure that I can – it's the difference between working your ass off to get someplace and getting there tired and exhausted versus, you know, being in joy and being in the flow and being in ease and getting there and – being able to appreciate what you've created because you, it seems like magic. I don't know. I mean, it, but, it is a business to do item. Yeah, the whole action approach isn't reliable for getting there anyway. But like you said, if you if you've been overworking yourself in that routine, once you get there, it's hard to enjoy because you're pretty worn out. Mm-hmm. But I get hired a lot by LOA savvy coaches, who, uh, they they didn't lead with their alignment practice. They led with the traditional actions that someone else told them are required in order to succeed in business. And I think that we do ourselves a tremendous disservice when we don't incorporate this in from the, from the very beginning and have it be something that's like habitual and automatic and ever present. Right. It's not uncommon for me to talk to an LOA side coach and ask the question, what's your deliberate creation practice around this and have them stutter or say, mm, not really. I mean, it's, and I think that that goes to speak to the disconnect between just this. Like, our, our deliberate creation, our alignment work is maybe, I won't say maybe, it needs to be, it must be the most important thing on our business to do list. But that's not the first thing that rolls off your tongue when you're talking about something that's going on in your practice. I can pretty much guarantee you are working too hard and you are frustrated with your results. Yep, and you'll be very pleased with yourself when you incorporate this in on a regular basis. You're going to like the results. Yep, and, you know, to schedule it, right? Like we're, We're scheduling everything all day long anyway. If you're looking at your calendar and you don't see space for that, like written in, penciled in, scheduled in in some way, then you might want to rethink your calendar. I have to do it. If I don't get it scheduled in, it gets run over. So it's very, I mean, it's the first thing I put on my calendar when I'm working my day. I'm going to roll us yeah, on to the next one because I think ev- everybody expected us to say that. You think everybody expected us to say that? <laughs> Probably. I don't think everybody expects us to say the next one. Um. Coaching as a profession is not for the faint of heart. It's it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It is not something that you're going to automate and it's going to run itself. Coaching as a profession is it, – it will wring you out. It will chew you up and spit you out. If you 
if this is not your gig and you are not all in, being only part in is 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 misery. Like coaching is a high calling. And you've got to be willing to give this gig what it requires of you or it's, it's going to be a struggle. I think so many people think coaching, and we've talked to a lot of these people at Good Vibe Coach Academy who show up for like an interview and they're like, oh, I know somebody who's a coach or I read about it and I thought that would be a sweet and easy way to make money. Hmm. <laughs> well, a lot of people on the outside think all we do is sit around at home all day talking with people on the phone, having cool conversations. It's It would be easy to think that that's what coaching is, and yet <laughs> that's not it. I mean, it's, I wish we could have merged these two conversations because the call that you and I were just on where we were talking about your schedule, I mean, what was super clear, what was really inspiring about listening to you talk about your schedule is, girlfriend, you work a lot. You really do. And there's nothing you would rather be doing. Very few things. Very few things. I like dog walks up the canyon, but um, pretty much I'd rather be working. (laughs) Because I, I, I asked myself when I was in the job that I hated, if I could do anything, what would it be? And it was, it was talk about conscious creation with other people. And my sweet spot in my coaching practice is to work with people who are LOA savvy, but it's not coming together for them for some reason. That's what I love most. I don't want to do the education. I don't want to convince anyone this is how it works. But for those who already know that law of attraction is a thing and they just aren't engaging it in the way that they want to, that's where I love to play. And it is a love to play, not a, oh, maybe I could make money doing this. It was what my it's what my heart calls for. It's what my passion is. Mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of people who come to coaching, and I'm saying that with air quotes, who don't even really want to coach. Like, I think coaching has become a big umbrella. And, I mean, maybe they want to be public speakers. Maybe they want to be an author, and so they or they've got a book or – I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things that we might put under that umbrella of coaching, which is one of the reasons, by the way, I like it. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of variety in what's possible mm-hmm. as a coach. But if if you don't love coaching, I mean, if you don't have a fire for working with people and kind of getting in the trenches and and being with your clients that way, coaching is not going to be a good time. And I think that happens sometimes. People think that's maybe... They think that would be fun, and when they really experience what a client, what client work is like on the day in and the day out, or they experience what it takes to sustain momentum in the growth of a practice, they realize that it's not their joy. I mean, coaching is one of those things that is, an, again, it's kind of an all-in or a don't bother because well, it's, 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 it's I a almost, thing. Go ahead. I almost walked away. I well, <clears throat> I didn't almost. I did walk away from coaching when I thought that what it was was my experience of of it was uh the people who wanted support, they didn't have the money to pay me. They were incredibly unhealthy, so they were sick and they were broke and they were unhappy. And the thought of spending time with those people made me want not want to do it. I thought if this is what coaching is, I'm out. This was before I was fully engaged 
uh, in my powers as a conscious creator to know that it could be whatever I want it to be. So once I realized I could have different clients, I could work with people who are happy and healthy and grounded and delighted to pay my full fee, I could work with those people. Then it, that changed everything. I came back to it with a awareness of who I wanted to work with so that I could have more enjoyment for it. And I think that happens with some coaches that their experience of it, or at least their initial experiences of it, might inspire them to walk away from it because it isn't their idea of a good time. It's worth remembering that we, we're we creating this. We can create it however we want it to be, but at the heart of it, if there isn't a desire to have those intimate connections with people on a one-on-one basis, then it probably isn't coaching that you want to do. It's probably teaching or speaking or something else that isn't called coaching. And I think that illustrates a good point. I mean, if you, and I've heard you say this, I've said it many times, if you are a coach and you can quit, you probably should. (laughs) I mean, you tried to quit. You tried to walk away from it. I've actually tried to quit and couldn't walk away from it. Like, that may be how you know if you have the heart for it. If you just can't walk away, if it keeps drawing you back, then it's probably a pretty good sign that you have that call to be a coach and faint of heart or not, you will find a way to thrive in the industry. But if it feels like a maybe or, you know, that might be nice or I might give this a shot or, you know, I hate my day job, so I'm going to try this gig over here and you can quit, it, it might be advisable to do that. Yeah, I, I, I think for a lot of people, it just they think of it as an easy way to make incredible money from home. All you need is a phone and an internet, and you're good to go. Mm. It's worth talking to a handful of coaches before you pursue it. If that's your understanding of what coaching is, it's intense. It's highly personal. It requires a lot of good energy, and you've got to be on your game to be of of high support to people. Yeah, I agree. All right, the next one, this one's mine. Everybody who's ever talked to me is going to recognize this as being my my thing here. But I, I just think you agree. I know you agree with us. I think there is a big drumbeat in our industry around pricing that says if you don't charge what you're worth, you know, X, Y, and Z is going to happen. That your prices equate to your value as a coach, and that is simply not true. I mean, yes. Maybe we all need to be thinking about charging more or less, or maybe we have limiting beliefs around money and the market and what have you. But I have seen exceptional coaches with life, like, like life-shifting skills fail in this market. And I know that there are coaches out there who are delivering what I would not consider the best coaching who are making big money. Your value as a coach has nothing to do with what you charge or what you're able to charge. Your value as a coach is separate from the money aspect of what we do here. And if you don't have your money game right, if your relationship with money is not strong enough, if you haven't worked through your money alignment issues, it doesn't matter what you charge. You're still not going to make it. And I think that that's where some people fall into the trap of 
estimating their self-worth as a coach based on what their fee schedule is, and mm-hmm. that sets them up for challenges um, because, like you said, your relationship with money is, determines whether you're getting paid or not. That's um, that's an easy one to to get hung up on, and it can take some work to unwind that one to find your sweet spot. And sometimes that requires uh, getting real with yourself about where you do feel your value rather than thinking that it has anything to do with what your hourly rate is or your annual income. I mean, how many coaches, I won't ask you to like name the number, but I know you've seen this. Like I have seen coaches that I think were really good at what they do be coached by strong, smart industry professionals who had good money alignment personally themselves, right? Coached by Mm -hmm. strong industry professionals to raise their rates. And so you see their website, like on their website, they're charging 275 or $300 an hour. And they feel like that's what they're worth. And they're sitting at home all day long, day in and day out, twiddling their thumbs because they're not getting that kind of money. It's it's a slippery slope because charging what you're worth, if you don't have the alignment to let that in, it's going to make you question what you're worth pretty quick. And there really is no connection. You know, I struggled with this one myself when I saw that some of my colleagues who were master coaches were charging $500 per session. And I never wanted to be the cheap coach on the block, but there I was. I was ridiculously affordable compared to my colleagues who were charging double what I was. And I didn't like that. My ego didn't like it. So I raised my rates. And I, as I was getting paid at my new rates, and it wasn't 500 a session, but I significantly raised my rates to at least get closer, as those receipts would come in, I did not feel fabulous about it. And I don't think it's because I, I don't think it's because I had an issue with money. I have a pretty good thing going with money, but I think it's because it wasn't from my own inspired, um, it wasn't from my own inner guidance that I was doing that. It was from an external. I don't want to be the cheap coach on the block that made me raise those rates. So uh, I and I knew what happens if if I continued doing business with every time a receipt comes in for another session, me gulping saying, "Wow, that's a lot of money." I know what happens to my business. I don't feel fabulous about it. So I had to be willing to find the number that felt good to me without the external input or the shoulds or the judgments around what it said about me to be charging so much less than my colleagues. I think that pricing is one of the most challenging aspects of setting up a coaching practice because finding that sweet spot is, it's, it is, I mean, it's a balancing act of a lot of things and some like looking at the market and sort of external input about what other people might be charging may be useful in that process. But you nailed it. I mean, even if you're getting it, if it doesn't feel good when the receipts come in, you're not going to keep getting those receipts for very long. And if you've priced yourself at a price point where you're not getting any clients, having that price point isn't going to do you any good. So as much as that external input might be useful, the sweet spot really is in how it feels to be able to receive that money. Mm -hmm. And that 
does evolve, so it's worth staying tuned into that. But that's probably a different episode to talk about setting our prices. But I, I loved your point that, you know, it works in the on the reverse end of this too. That if if we aren't making money as coaches, we won't be we won't be in business for long. At least not anyone who's needing it to support themselves. So, it, it, but I think it's helpful for us to do that outside of equating what our rates are with what our value is as a coach. And I could go on a little rant here, a tirade. I'm just going to do my, this is my short tirade, and then we'll move on to the next one. <laughs> People, there is nothing wrong with $100 an hour. $100 an hour, and yeah, I mean, we can have all kinds of conversations about the equations and the formula and how much time you invested getting to that $100 an hour and your prep time and your post time and all of that stuff. I'm just going to say, like, there is nothing wrong with $100 an hour. And a $100 an hour coach would be considered bargain basement prices. But if oh, you yeah. really think about $100 an hour, that's good money in any marketplace, really. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I will... I will there are a lot of highly trained professionals, clients. yeah, who that aren't getting a hundred bucks an hour. Yep. Yeah. But let's talk about so, highly trained professionals for a second. Coaching skills. It, it's yeah. No joke. <laughs> like really thing. having the goods. Yeah. It, it's a thing, and I think there is there are a couple of distinctions here. I mean, a lot of people come to coaching, and I've heard it a lot. I know you have too. I'm really good at giving advice. People come to me for advice. I, you know, everybody at the office. I'm easy to talk to. to. Yeah. I'm easy to talk to. Yeah. Or I think there's also another category of possibility, which is like, I really know something. I really know how to do X, Y, and Z. Just because you have the knowledge doesn't mean you have the skills to actually coach it. The the mechanics Mm -hmm. of coaching are different than having a pocket of knowledge or a particular skill set or being easy to talk to or being a good listener or being somebody who's really good at giving advice. Like all of those things may be a part of the equation that makes a good coach, but the mechanics and the skills of coaching are unique and it's it's important to know that you've got your coaching skills like managed, mastered, and growing regularly. I think there are a lot of consultants who are doing business as coaches, and I think there are a lot of coaches who are frustrated that their business isn't thriving because their their skills are not up to par. They're not getting the repeat business or the referrals that that coaches who are highly trained or who have good skills have. And I was just going to say, just because you're highly trained doesn't necessarily mean you have the skills. But it's worth paying attention to, to assume that coaching is an easy thing to do. All you have to do is be able to be good at talking with people or supporting them is to seriously underestimate or um, it doesn't do justice to what coaching is when it's done at its best. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the places that people bounce out to the outer rings of coaching, right? They start a coaching practice. And then pretty soon you hear them saying, I don't really want one-on-one clients. I don't really want to work with people. I want to do workshops. I want to facilitate. I want to do this. I want to do that. I I think that oftentimes maybe that's true. I mean, that may in fact be true and there's nothing wrong with that. But oftentimes that's a product of actually experiencing yourself coaching, not feeling very solid, as secure as you want to be, as 
on the mark as you want to be in your coaching sessions with your coaching skills. And so it might be easy to think that you don't enjoy coaching when really what you're experiencing is maybe not being as solid in your sessions as you want to be. Mm -hmm. Because that is a wonderful thing to experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody is perfect every time. I mean, every session is different. I don't think there's any one set of skills that's enough. And it is a moving target in a coaching session almost all the time. But I think that's why, you know, mastering your skills and continuing to endeavor to get better really matters. I I say this a lot, too. I mean, I firmly believe if as an industry we spent as much energy and effort on honing and growing and mastering our skills as we do on marketing and webinars to get, you know, like all of the sales stuff and all of the money we spend on marketing stuff, we wouldn't be having to worry nearly as much about marketing because our skills would market our practices and our industry for us. We are a self-regulated industry with very little attention on education and continuing education. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I was thinking how how similar it was. Uh, I was talking with an energy worker about another energy worker who was looking to get started in business, and she said, all he has to do is go to the places where you can they feed you clients, like at the at the New Age bookstores or at the the you know, weekend fairs or wherever, where you can you can either charge a very nominal amount or offer them for free so people get a sample of the kind of work that you do. And if you're any good, she says, they will spread the word. They will come back and they will bring their friends and family with you, with them. And I think that that's true for us as co- in coaching as well, even though sometimes, like especially I'm thinking in your business, Lisa, where some clients might be a little hesitant to tell the whole world on Facebook about their amazing relationship coach who just saved their marriage. But there's still something to be said for um, letting your work bring your clients to you. Your clients can be your unpaid sales force when you're doing excellent work. I agree. I mean, I think for a number of reasons. My particular niche might be hard in terms of word of mouth because, I mean, privacy when you're talking about marriages and other issues like that, feels paramount, and I would still say I get 70% of my new clients by referral. I mean, maybe people aren't taking it to Facebook saying, holy cow, like this amazing relationship coach kept me from getting divorced after my husband cheated on me. But that client will still send their friends and their acquaintances when it's time to make a referral. So if you are, I, I agree with that concept about the energy worker. If your work speaks for itself, you're not going to have to invest nearly as heavily in all of the bright and shiny marketing schemes that exist out there. Speaking of which, next one on the list, mm-hmm. clients are not ATM machines. I, I do think that there has been this turn in our industry about how to milk every dollar out of a client, how to build the best sales funnel to capitalize on Getting a big sale. I want to say, I don't know how much that is our industry. That might be like online marketing. It might be other industries that coaches draw from, but I really don't like the thought that the coaching industry is 
approaches it that way, at least not coaches with good reputations anyway. I think, I mean, that's an interesting point, how much overlap there is between coaching and, like, online marketing, marketing, marketer kind of stuff. And it's because many of us do most of our business online that there is such a natural and easy overlap between those two things. But if we start treating our clients like online marketers treat their clients, it's a different game. I mean, it really is. And coaching practices, like a practice that's sustainable that lasts for decades, is based on relationship building. And the skills of relationship building and online marketing are, are different. They are a different set of skills. It's a different kind of priority. I think you are particularly well, good at building relationships online over time. And I also know from some online marketers that they understand this and practice it and teach it, that they understand the value, the importance, that it's essential to build relationships. Not everyone does, but I know there are some who do. I study their work. Um, and I agree that we, we won't be in business long if we, aren't, if we aren't paying attention to that relationship and valuing it rather than just seeing them as prospects who have a, a per-click value or whatever the terminology is for building your audience and how to get them to buy your stuff. I don't see a lot of coaches practicing that. They might call themselves coaches, but I don't – I just – you could tell I really don't like the thought, so I'm not even going to believe it. <laughs> well, and I think that it's those kinds of strategies are not – they're not required. Like if, if you're really lit up by that, do it because it's exciting to you and you enjoy it. You should do that. But I can honestly say, I mean, yes, I have an entry point. I'm sure there's an entry point somewhere, but I don't have a sales funnel. I mean, I've been in business for a long time without a sales funnel. So I, it is relationships that stand the test of time that's where you are going to build your bank account. And one-off sales aren't going to be a sustainable strategy for a coaching practice. Which kind of leads us. You have final thoughts on that? I'm rushing it through this. Well, I just, because- I, just, I just liked your, your in your notes where you said you just treat your people right. That's all we got to do. Honor those relationships, and they will honor you and your business. Mm-hmm. And they will be your sales force. Mm-hmm. They will do that work for you. Let's talk about this one, that the coaching industry is fragile, that there's a bubble, that there's, you know, the coaching industry is bobbly, that it's, I don't know. The coaching industry is growing by leaps and bounds. And bounds. And I think that, you know, X number of years of the Sherpa study who's looked at this would agree with that. The coaching industry is a rapidly expanding, rapidly evolving industry that brings with it an unlimited number of potential clients. And when you and I first started this gig, I think we had to define what coaching meant to everybody that we talked to. People understand coaching now. They're looking for coaches. This may be one of the most recession-proof, foolproof industries to be in as far as, like, 
being self-employed, just industries as a general, I do think maybe we have some challenges with some reputation management at times. All industries do. Coaching industry is growing and evolving, and it's strong. We do not need to worry about the coaching industry being fragile. And someone could manifest it differently for themselves if they wanted to. There, there could be a coach who believes in downturns and that a coach is the first thing that goes on the, off the support team as soon as financial trouble hits someone's budget. I mean, we, we can all have a different experience of it, but there isn't any reason that uh, – I, I just think it's important for people to know you get to choose what your experience of it is. I think I that's the one where it's thriving. <laughs> yeah, I, because it is thriving. And seriously, if you feel like the coaching industry is in trouble, don't call me because I don't want to catch that. There's so much evidence that we as a profession are growing. And I know from experience, and I know you do too, that when people start to feel the pinch, there are a lot of clients who the first thing they will do is spend money mm-hmm. on coaching. Mm-hmm. because they're feeling the pinch rather than the reverse outcome of that. I know mm-hmm. people who, I mean it when I say, if you are a good coach, people will throw money at you. And you and I have coached through some economic downturns. And mm-hmm. I can honestly say in what seemed like dire economic circumstances in other industries, I didn't feel a a pinch in the coaching industry. And I don't think you did either. I didn't. No, I've, I've, I, no, absolutely not. It, nope. Didn't happen for me either. But that's going partially to because... Know they need to coach. Yeah. <laughs> and because I mean, a lot of times I have to coach clients like, you know, you should you should make a habit of this, not just wait until shit hits the fan to hire a coach. <laughs> you know, get ahead of it. <laughs> get some skills on board before you need them. But, yeah, I have that same experience where a, a lot of coaches will say, oh, summertime, it, you see a dip in, in demand for coaching. Or around the holidays, I do not experience that. Yeah. Agreed. All right, last one. And you are the one who added this. You're the one who keeps saying self-care, and I keep being the one who forgets it. And I'm, I will say, <laughs> I'm a self-care queen, and I have not been putting it on the list. But good heavens. For a coach, for yeah. everybody, but maybe particularly for a coach, self-care is an absolute requirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can't support someone else when you're not in a good place yourself. So... Tending to yourself is essential in order to be good for your clients. And, Not to mention like for I your said, business and yourself. And you will preach, you will talk about self-care with your clients. Chances are very high that at some point self-care or something like self-care is going to come up with you in your sessions, with your people, with your tribe. If you're not practicing it yourself when that time comes, it it does not read as genuine. I mean, people can feel the energy when we're not walking our talk. I think that practices, a coaching practice will not be sustainable without it. We were talking in our previous call about the burnout rate, and the burnout rate in fields like ours, helping professions, are very high. I mean, burnout is a real thing. Without self-care, your practice will not survive years or decades. But 
it keeps you on the straight and narrow in terms of integrity when you're practicing what you preach. And inevitably, you will be preaching self-care at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think a lot of coaches, when they're building their business and feeling the pressure of it, they think, I'll get to that when, I've got time for it. But it's it's just like meditation. <laughs> when you think you don't have time for it, that's when you need to double it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It kind of wraps us around to the beginning of where we started with deliberate creation practices. I mean, self-care is quite literally a business-to-do item, like meditation might be a business-to-do item, or do your deliberate creation practices are a business-to-do item. They're not optional, and they can't be that thing you hope you have time for at the end of the day or the end of the week. You just won't be in business for very long if you practice that way. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you we didn't add to this list that you want to toss in or any final thoughts? I just want to say that I I know I'm prejudiced, but I think that you met you spoke to this earlier when you said this is a very high calling to answer. I would add that it's also a very rewarding one when we when we make it work for us, there is a way to suffer and struggle as a coach. But when we remember that you get to create this gig how you want it to be, then I don't. I just don't think there's a, a better party on the planet. I agree. I agree. How, so how long have you been coaching? You know, the other day when you said something like, Jeanette's been coaching for almost 20 years, I was like, that can't be true. And I realized, oh, my God, it almost is. I'm just, I'm not that far away from it. Maybe another year or so. (laughs) That's a lot. Someone emailed me today saying, I've been reading your stuff since I was in my 20s. I'm in my 30s now. I'm like, oh, my God, I feel old. Yeah, I I was thinking about it. Like, I finished my coach training when my oldest was six or seven, and he's 27. We're we're old. We're old. But, I mean, we have coached through some economic downturns, that's for sure. Yes, we have. It is a high calling. It is is the – I think it's one of the highest callings. I mean, we get to play – with people in their most sacred spaces and we work magic with dreams and it is intimate and it is useful. Like, so it can be pivotal in a life. If you are, if this is your calling, like do whatever it takes, whether it's for the faint of heart, like give it what you, give it what it asks of you to give. And if you need support, here's our little plug at the very end of the call. If you need support, you can find us at goodvibecoachacademy.com, and we would love to help you find a way to get the joy and the success out of the coaching practice that you really want. Right on. Well said. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.